I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The FT. Welcome back to Banking Weekly with me, Patrick Jenkins. This week, we'll be taking a look back at last week's World Economic Forum event in Davos. If you compare the program of Davos this year with, uh, let's say, five, six years ago, you still can find much more often used. The, the word risks are much more often used than before. We'll then follow up on Lord Levine's comments about NBNK, the new banking venture he's starting. I would hope before the end of this year we may have a result, but it depends. And we'll end the show with the latest news on the work of the government-appointed Commission on Banking. From every submission we had from the banks saying, you know, why they should be kept intact, we had some equally firm views from very senior industry figures, past and present, saying that actually they should be broken up and this model isn't working. I'm joined this week by Charlene Goff, our banking correspondent, and Megan Murphy, our investment banking correspondent. And we have Justin Baer on the line in New York for our regular update about the banking sector in America, stateside. Let's go straight to New York. Over to you, Justin. Thanks, Patrick. Wall Street spent the week sifting through yet another narrative on the financial crisis and learned that Goldman's top executives got a tidy raise. Uh, First off, we finally had the uh, debut of the Federal Crisis Inquiry Commission's report on the financial crisis. This was the uh, government-appointed panel that were charged with looking at the root of the crisis as well as how the economy could avoid future disasters. Not surprisingly, the report drew a chair of critics. Uh, Republicans on the panel published not one but two dissenting views. But on the whole, the um, the document provides uh, an explanation as to how, certainly how individual firms found themselves in such disarray a few years ago and, and which, uh, which firms uh, managed to, uh, to weather the storm better than most. Finally, we, as we had before, we did get more information on compensation payments to Wall Street's uh, senior most uh, executives. Uh, last Friday, we heard from Goldman Sachs. The company um, had to up the uh, salaries of its top folks, including Lloyd Blankpine, the CEO. Um, his salary is $2 million, up from 600000 uh, More importantly, his 2010 bonus, um, the deferred uh, stock portion of that uh, was increased from $9 million a year ago to $12.6 million. Uh, this most recent year. Um, other senior folks also did see uh, an increase in, in restricted stock as well. Ultimately, it shows that the backlash that, that uh, Goldman and other uh, banks had felt a year ago uh, has certainly begun to subside. It's worth noting that uh, 2010 was not necessarily a banner year for Goldman or for the industry. Um, their earnings went down. They faced uh, serious SEC charges. The stock didn't uh, perform particularly well. So for uh, Mr. Blankfein to take home a, a significant increase in his bonus, uh, I think, is a nod to the fact that um, there were reasons why the, the numbers were so low a year ago. And again, it's it's a sign that um, the people are feeling a little bit better about uh, paying out um, year-end uh, bonuses to top executives and, and to rank-and-file folks as well. That's all we have for this week. Back to you, Patrick. Thanks very much, Justin. 
Let's turn our attention to our first topic for today, the World Economic Forum meeting which happened last week in Davos. I think it's fair to say that although the meeting had a huge spread of topics covered in the in the three main days, on the subject of the banking debate, it was interesting to see how things had moved on since last year, particularly on the regulatory side of things. Interesting also to see that the banks all clubbed together towards the end of the week and put together a, a paper submitting it to finance directors calling for an end to banker bashing, signalling that they're probably most concerned about the continuing Eurozone sovereign debt crisis. I'd spoke to quite a few key bankers while I was there last week. And here's what Andrei Kostin, the head of Russia's fast-growing state-owned bank VTB, had to say about the mood at Davos last week. The mood is much, much better than previous years. I think there's quite a broad agreement that the economy is on the rise, maybe not as quickly as some people would like to see, but in most of the countries, and in the United States, in Europe, maybe with the exception of some problem areas still exist, but definitely in the emerging market economy, we witness the economic growth. And I think there's no more discussions of the possibility of the second wave of crisis. So I think it's um, quite reasonably a positive mood, But of course, if you compare the program of Davos this year with, uh, let's say, five, six years ago, you still can find much more often used, the the word risks are much more often used than before. There's a great concern that in spite of the fact that we probably already overcame the worst in uh, this crisis, but there's still potentially some global risks, maybe not in the short or medium term, but in the long term, there's a quite a substantial risks, and that's now the divorce trying to identify and trying to find a solution how to prevent those risks in the future. I put the same question to Lord Levine, the chairman of the Lloyds of London insurance market, and here's what he had to say. We've had really great years here, and everybody's been over the moon, and we've had awful years, and everybody's been totally depressed. Last year, we were starting to recover from the disaster of 08, and people were saying, then, well, what do you think is going to happen now? And we, I think quite a lot of us are saying, well, you know, I don't think it's going to be fixed in 2010, but come 2011, we should all be fine again. Mm. I think it's too early to say we're all fine again, and there's still a lot of questions out there. And you have the situation in the UK with the coalition government coming in and saying, look, we're going to have to make some very severe cuts, and it's going to be pretty tough. And at when that first came out, the Americans said, no, we're not going that way, you know, we're not cutting public spending, it's much too vicious and we can, we can get through it. And then you have President Obama on, on Monday saying, no, that's exactly what we've got to do. I think those two comments were both pretty representative, really, of the mood across the banking sector, particularly. Interesting, Megan and, and Charlene, you were, we, you were here in London, but obviously there was a lot of, of noise coming out of Davos. What was the, the feeling here? The key message here that we were really looking at and, and are still intensely interested in was obviously the UK GDP figures coming out middle of the week, showing some very weak numbers, 0.5% downward, in part attributed to the weather, but even taking out the snow effects, extreme snow, the, the figures would have been flat, showing very flat growth, and compared against the U.S. figures, which were much more robust. And a lot of the story here was 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 focused on how uh, George Osborne and David Cameron are going to be able to continue to stress not so much convincing people of the need for these cuts, but convincing economists and bankers and regulators around the world that the strategy they've adopted here of very deep, very severe cuts 
to state spending actually is the responsible way forward and won't plunge Britain into another recession over the next year. Uh, And if we are adopting the right strategy here, I think there's starting to be a chorus of doubting coming forward with the VAT increase, which will be accounted for in next quarter's figures, expected to also have a very dampening effect on spending. I think that's what was really sort of what people were interested in, the messaging in Davos from them on defending that strategy. Overall, it's very interesting to see that kind of concern, if the nervousness, particularly from the, on the political side, was was not really reflected at all among the bankers who who we were talking to anyway. And in contrast, the official subject of Davos this year, they always have a, a, an official theme, which was something like coping with crisis. The, the mood was far more upbeat than that theme suggested, and certainly far more than last year. So whether that's just an effect of the Davos bubble not being able to catch up with um, GDP numbers for from, from a few days earlier, or indeed with the um, mounting crisis in North Africa, which which also got very little attention on the ground. Interestingly enough, everyone was in this in this bubble. But Charlene, Megan makes a good point there. I mean, the other interesting theme was the sovereign debt crisis. How we move on from this, and looking at where we might be over the worst, but how do we stop? this really continuing with smaller sort of economies and also where the blame for this lies. I mean, there seems to be some comments that, you know, really governments have got to take some responsibility for this. Moving away from, you know, a year ago when we were sort of very much blaming the banks and that goes with what you were saying, that the bankers wanted to sort of move that on, move the backlash on. Also, there hasn't been so much criticism of them this time. There hasn't been so much talk about, you know, bonuses. We seem to have sort of entered a bit of a new phase there. Just very quickly on on this point, the economic picture is one thing, but the other thing which seemed to caught a lot of attention here in London was the fact that the UK is still the only government that's still looking at a radical program of reform for banking. We've just, we'll talk about this a little bit later about possibly a ring fencing of investment banking and retail banking, and just a little bit of a sense that is the UK standing alone not only in its approach to dealing with its own deficit issues, but also with looking at much more far-reaching structural reforms. I think you're absolutely right. And I think on the on the regulatory side of banking, there were comments made there, not least by Lord Turner, the uh, chairman of the FSA, which seemed to suggest a willingness to retreat slightly on some of the FSA's more front-running policies on, on liquidity, for example. Um, so we'll watch all of that area with, uh, with great interest over the coming months. Now, when I was in Davos, I also took the opportunity to talk to Lord Levine about how the plans for his new high street bank, NBNK, are coming along. And that's the second topic for today's show. Here's what Lord Levine had to say about acquiring the banking assets of Lloyd's, which is his plan A, really, for the growth or the, the development of NBNK. We're looking at the Lloyd's assets and we're talking to them and we're looking at other potential assets as well. And I'm sure they're looking at other potential buyers. We are in those discussions. They're in fairly early stages. I would hope before the end of this year we may have a result, but it depends. It depends on all sorts of things. You've got the Banking Commission reporting later in the year. Will those assets or any others be in a position where they can be sold before the Banking Commission reports or not? We don't know. So we're moving ahead. Uh, we, we're having good discussions with all the people involved. And Lloyd's assets are not the only ones we're looking at. And we are now set up. We've got our chief executive. We're bringing other senior staff on board to be ready to make the right acquisition or acquisitions uh, as and when they become available and if and when we can agree a deal. NBNK is quite an interesting animal, really. It's, it's, it's a shell company started up with about 50 million of capital 
backed by the institutional fund management industry in the in the UK with um, Lord Levine as its chairman. Gary Hoffman, the former head of Northern Rock, has been brought in as chief executive. But for the time being, that's all they are, a shell. And as Lord Levine was saying there, their main focus really is to try and buy these 600 branches which Lloyd's is being forced to sell by the European Commission following a state aid ruling. Charlene, what what do you think their chances are? I mean, they're obviously not going to get a free run at these branches. They're going to be quite a lot of other potential bidders, presumably. Absolutely. I mean, interestingly there, he calls it a plan A. And, you know, really, this seems to be the only plan they have to sort of form a decent new bank on the high street. I mean, the Lloyds branches at the moment, it's about 600 of them, and they would create the sixth largest bank in the UK. So it would be a huge deal for them. But like you say, they are going to come up against competition. I mean, all the big established banks are ruled out they're not allowed to bid for this on competition grounds but still the door is open to foreign banks how do you assess the the kind of chances of nbnk being able to win the the auction we just have to look at the sale of the rbs branches which eventually went to santander because santander was the only credible bidder and we had the other new entrant virgin try to mount a bid for those and it just couldn't afford to compete with Santander. Now, Santander won't be able to buy the Lloyds branches, but still, you know, MBNK has the disadvantage of not having the infrastructure, not having the capital, not being able to go out in the market and raise the funding. And this deal is going to require a huge amount of capital to be injected into these branches, something like £30 billion. So when you say they've started off with £50 it shows just how big a mountain they've got to climb here. Well, Lord Levine doesn't seem to... uh be scared of the, the challenge ahead and even seems to be slightly more bullish than the last time I talked to him about this, that you know something could, could happen by the end of the year. I think we should move on to our final topic for today. That's the Banking Commission. Now, this is the government-appointed body chaired by Sir John Vickers, which by September is going to come back with a report on how the structure of the British banking industry should be changed. Last week, when I was off playing in Davos, you, Charlene and Megan, were, were covering the news of the publishing by the Commission of the submissions from the banking industry and from others about what they thought of the the ideas on the table. What struck you as the most interesting out of those, Charlene? There weren't a huge amount of surprises in there. I mean, the banks have been guiding, you know, what their feelings are about this for a while. But this was the really the strongest defence we'd seen yet from the banks to keep their structures intact and to really put across their view that major structural reform would not make the financial system any safer and some of them even going as far as to say that it could actually make it a lot riskier. The arguments from Barclays, HSBC, RBS were very much centred around keeping the universal banking model together. Even the idea of ring fencing the retail business, they're very anti this. And this ranged from RBS, who actually tried to put a price on the benefits it gets from that universal model. It could be up to about £5 billion a year, and that's the benefits they get from sharing back office functions, being able to share their funding sources around the bank, to Barclays that sort of took a slightly different tack and was saying that actually this gives us more opportunity to help communities and, you know, this kind of more touchy-feely aspects of of their defence, which was quite interesting. So that was from the big universal banks. Lloyd's was much more focused on the competition issues. You know, it's reasons why 
the HBOS deal should not be broken up. Um, I mean, we've heard those before, but it, it did actually give a lot more ground than it has before and actually try to make some specific recommendations for improving competition, improving products like current accounts for customers. So we got more of a sense of, you know, what they'd be willing to give to keep their market share safe. That has seemed a fair likelihood that something is bound to happen to try and pull back Lloyd's, particularly its market share in current accounts. Yeah, and the interesting thing was, you know, it's 30%, it's one in three, you know, they're under particularly close scrutiny from the Banking Commission, you know, whether that could be a sort of market share cap or something. But, you know, from from every submission we had from the banks saying, you know, why they should be kept intact, we had some equally firm views from very senior industry figures, past and present, saying that actually they should be broken up and this model isn't working, particularly from Sir George Matthewson, the former chief executive and chairman of RBS, who, you know, really caught a lot of attention when he said that not only should Lloyds and HBOS be broken up, but there should be moves to have a a bigger separation of some of the RBS assets. Not to belabor this point, but you really saw almost in some cases near desperate putting forward, uh, you know, Barclays devoted 59 paragraphs, about 10 pages of its submission to defending the merits of universal banking from, as you discussed, a range of helping communities to won't reduce systemic financial risk. The problem here is what I think commentators and people like us are going to be looking at is just exactly what is going to happen if some sort of ring fencing is brought in or some types of fairly radical structural reform is brought in. If the commission does recommend that, what will happen at that stage? I'm not entirely convinced that even if that is the recommendation of the commission, that the government would go forward with that type of plan. I mean, already you're starting to see the banks try to mobilize what seems to me increasingly like legal objections to it, pragmatic objections. I just think we we have to be really realistic about this, even if the commission does recommend some type of theoretical structural reforms. This is not going to be the last of this debate. And, and it also poses a very interesting conundrum for George Osborne, given that you know, shortly after the commission reports, he will want to start selling off the government stakes in RBS and Lloyd's. Now, if there is a, a, a quite a radical recommendation from the commission and he goes ahead and introduces that, then he's on one side boosting competition and, you know, looking towards the future, but on the other side, likely to reduce the value that the taxpayer is going to get from the, the sale of the stake, particularly in RBS. So, And he's also shooting himself in the foot on, on timing. I mean, he can't do anything probably for 2012 as well as exactly. for 2011 if, if he orders RBS to be broken up or for, to be ring-fenced or, yeah. or so on. So I think, I think you're absolutely right. We had the head of UKFI reiterating that point last week as well, saying that you break up these banks and you are going to reduce the value for the taxpayer. So it will be a very fine balance that he's got to strike. Yeah, just, I mean, on that uh, concluding, I mean, exactly. It just, I almost do sometimes wonder if this sort of cart's gotten so far ahead of the horse in terms of what the commission is looking at and that the realization of what this might mean in terms of taxpayers' value value of their stakes in these banks, but also for the competitiveness of the UK as a whole, is only just starting to fully seep in. That's all we have time for today. All that's left for me to do is to thank Charlene and Megan and Justin Baer in New York and to thank you for listening. Banking Weekly was produced by LJ Filatrani. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.